Take your Bibles and open to the book of Hebrews as we wrap up uh, this series today. Um, A book written to Jewish Christians, uh, Jews coming out of Judaism, coming out of all the traditions of their uh, past uh, liturgy and their past traditions, and, and they've met Jesus Christ, and he transformed their life. And they're trying to figure out how to live this life. What do I, what do I leave behind? What, what, how do I follow Jesus? How do I put this thing into practice? So the writer has been telling us throughout the book of Hebrews, this one theme, we've seen it over and over and over again, Jesus Christ is absolutely supreme. Nothing like him. He's absolutely supreme. And the writer has taken this Jewish audience and us through this series. He said, Jesus is greater than heaven's best. He's greater than the angels. Remember back in chapter one, he made the point, a whole uh, uh, exegetical point that Jesus is better than the angels. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than earth's best. In Judaism, the greatest prophet was Moses, but he's greater than Moses. He's greater than uh, all the sacrificial systems of the Old Testament. He's greater than the priest. Jesus is greater than. Jesus is absolutely supreme. Now the writer's going to ask us, so what? You believe that? So what? You believe that? It's in your mind. You read it through the book. Now what are you going to do with it? If Jesus is supreme, if he's truly supreme, it should be a life changer, shouldn't it? It should change our life. It should change the way we do marriage. It should change the way we, we parent. It should change the way we do young adulthood and singleness. It should change the way we work. It should change the way we, we go to school. If Jesus is absolutely supreme, and we've been saying he is, then that should be a life changer. It's not something we talk about. It's something we do. It's not something we just believe. It's something we act upon. And the writer, as he ends this book, is going to say, now, I've told you, I've gone through some tough passages of Scripture. I've tried to show you from the Old Testament. Now you've got to do something with it. In chapter 13, he says, I believe, I see five characteristics of a life who believes that Jesus Christ is absolutely supreme. That's what we're going to look at. Five practical things of a life where Jesus is supreme. Here's the first characteristic. Characteristic of a life where Jesus is supreme is love. Now, I know that's a little fuzzy word, and the writer knows that too. So he's going to drill down on it. First, he says in chapter 13, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. That two-word English word is one Hebrew word. It's the word phileo, and it's the word delphia, and you put those together, and you have what? Philadelphia. That was very good. Good job. Philadelphia. Brotherly love. And when the writer is saying brotherly love, it's not saying that this is some sibling love we have for each other. He is saying this is a love that unites a Christian community together. 
This is a love that says we, Jesus is supreme. We're all following him and we're going to put up with each other and we're going to interact with each other and we're going to care for one another and we're going to do everything we need to do because we're on this journey together. That's what love's about. Now, again, the author is going to drill down on this. And so he says in verse two, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Now, in that day, there were not Hampton Inns at every exit on the road with heated swimming pools and workout rooms. There were inns, and inns were few. They were expensive, and they, were, they didn't have good reputations. Also in this day, when the writer's writing this, you have a lot of itinerant um, preachers going back and forth. They, they, are, they are church fathers. They're taking the message, and they're helping these churches get established. So you have a lot of people traveling. And as they go into areas, they can't stay at the end because it's a bad place to stay. And so the writer is saying, when these people come to your home, when they come to your area, open up your house to them. Show hospitality to them. Even when they're strangers, even when you don't know who they are, open your house to them. Is that risky? Yep. By the way, Jesus never said that Christian life wasn't going to be risky, did he? Some of you don't want it to be risky. That's why we never stretch ourselves. So important was this truth that there was, in the early church, written this thing called the didache, uh, the, the teaching of the 12 apostles, their teaching... Uh, put into practice. And in the didache, it addresses how, how, you, how you are to show hospitality. Listen to this. Every apostle who comes to you should be welcomed as the Lord, but he is not to stay more than a day or two days if really necessary. If he stays for three days, he is a false prophet. And an apostle at his departure should accept nothing but the provisions, but as much provisions as will last him to the next night's lodging. If he asks for money, what is he? He's a false prophet. There are risks. But the writer is saying, you know, it's possible, just like in the Old Testament. If you host someone, if you care for someone, if you show hospitality to someone, you could just be, you could just be entertaining an angel Unaware. Now, that's not why we do it, but it could be the case. Now, how, do, how is this practical? Again, because we do have Hampton Inns at every exit, right? So is, does this mean we're to go downtown and, and, and find a, a homeless person and invite them into our home? No. Does it mean we're to, we're to go um, uh, give money to people we don't know without knowing how they're going to spend it? No. God used, gives us a brain, and there's discretion. But here's one thing it means. It means you may actually need to show hospitality to someone you're sitting next to here at church. That you may have to stretch yourself a little bit to say, it absolutely kills me. Absolutely kills me. When someone comes to church and they say, you know, we were there for three weeks and no one ever said hi. Guys, we can't do that. That can't be us. That's not brotherly love. We need to reach out to those in need around us. First Peter talks about 
love in the sense that we're to have unity of mind. We're to have sympathy for each other, 1 Peter 3.8. We're to have a tender heart toward each other. We're to have a humble mind. It's not just about us. It's not just about, it's not just about coming to church, checking the box, and go watching the Steelers. That's not the deal. It's about coming, gathering together, interacting with one another, getting charged so we can go back out and do the things God's calling us to do. And I love it when people are reaching out and they're inviting other people into their home and they're meeting people to eat. And, and it's not a program. You don't have a, we don't have a pastor of love. And we're not going to get a pastor of love. We've got to be those who reach out to each other. There's another characteristic that really drills down on this word love. Look at verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Look at verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Think about that. Are you willing to reach out to those in need? It's not just people in prison, but those in need. It may be a spiritual need. It may be emotional need. It may be a financial need. Steve Tachula does a lot of things here at our church, but one of the things he does is leads a Bible study in the prison. I've gone with Steve before, and you go through all these doors and locks, and you feel the doors locking behind you, and then you're in a room with these guys who are incarcerated, and man, they're going through some tough times. And one of their biggest fears is, we're going to get out of here, and we're going to get in the same crowd we were in, and we're going to be right back in here, and we're going to fail again. We're going to fail our families. And Steve ministers to them. And I see, that's what love really is about. Washington, man, I love the campus over there. The, the prison is like right across the street from you guys. And then the mission is just right up the, up, the, up the road from you guys. And you are tremendous in ministering to those who are going through some challenging times. Our church in Washington has been right in the hub of challenging situa- situation. Robinson, some cool things happen in Robinson. They're the ones who reach out for us into the Stowe Rocks area. They led the way in the backpacks, giving the kids, needy kids, backpacks. So they have, they have things for school. Wilkinsburg, what about Wilkinsburg? About 100 people go to Wilkinsburg, about 120 on a good week. Half of them, half of them are kids. And, and 60% of the kids, their parents don't come. So those in Wilkinsburg are there on a mission. They're not there checking a box. They don't get to come and sit and soak and sour. They get to go, they're there to work. They're there early serving breakfast to those who come off the streets so that they can have a breakfast. They invite them to church, but you can eat with us and you don't have to go to church because we want to get to know you. Wilkinsburg, man, they're doing a fantastic job. Ross Traver, I can tell you about Ross Traver. Before we ever started with Ross Traver, on a Wednesday night, they were getting a van and they were going down in the middle of Manesson in a tough area. And they were piling all the kids they could on that van. And they were taking them back to have Wednesday evening services at the church in Manessa. You guys have been doing that for years. But you know what? One van wasn't enough. So you know what they did? They made another trip into Manessa and piled another van and brought them back in. And the people who did that, they would be going till about 10 o'clock at night. 
10 o'clock at night, taking those kids back to Manesson. And that's good stuff. That's hospitality. That's showing love. You guys in DeBerry, man, some great things have happened in DeBerry. Um, this past summer, uh, people in DeBerry, uh, they had this opportunity to, to, to hand out free meals uh, to uh, needy kids. And so they kind of met at a park, and there were meals that were handed out. Over the summer, they handed out 1,633 meals to needy kids, and then they ministered to those kids during the afternoon. That's what hospitality is. You see, love is sacrificial. We've got to get involved. We've got to get our hands in it. We can't just talk about love. Love is not going to another ABF. Love is not attending another huddle group. Love is not attending another women's Bible study. Love is getting involved in the lives of people in a real way, at a real level. It's sacrificial. And if we're going to be those who truly say, Jill, Jesus is supreme, then we got to demonstrate his supremacy in real life stuff. And the first thing of that is showing love. Secondly, the second characteristic of a life where Jesus is supreme is purity. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says this, Let marriage be held in high honor above all, among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. We back down on this, not one iota. We don't apologize for this. We don't care if it's popular or not. Marriage is between a man and a woman for life. That's God's ordination. That's God's idea. We see it from Genesis on, a man and a woman. And it is to be held in high honor among all men and women. It is to be nourished. It's to be protected. It's to be cared for. The marriage bed, a metaphor for sexual intimacy, husbands and wife, is to be undefiled. And the warning is clear. We can't miss it. Sexual immorality, sex before marriage, living together. I'm going to say that again. This is not just for the young adults. This is for some older people because it's, you see, it's more economic if we live together. Living together. Same-sex relationships. Adulterous relationships. Pornography will be judged. God judges those things. There are consequences to sin. Sin carries consequences. Don't be deceived, Galatians 6, 7. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, what? He's going to reap. 1 Timothy 5, 24, I think it is. Some men, boy, we see this one today, right, in the news every day. Some men's sins go before them and beat them to the place of judgment. Some men's sins follow after them. Boy, they get there, don't they? They get there. Sin has consequences. It's not a very inspiring sermon so far, is it? People like inspiring sermons. But Hebrews says, you guys got to deal with this stuff. We got we to deal with this stuff. We have to be those who keep our marriages pure. Guys, pornography doesn't work. Adulterous relationships doesn't work. Does God forgive God is gracious. Man, we love God. We love God's grace, don't we? We love God's grace. We love God's forgiveness. But like, here's the deal. We have to be just as adamant about 
God's strength for us to obey before we sin as we are about his grace after we sin. We're all about grace after we sin. How about being committed to obedience before we sin, before we've blown everything up? We have to be those who keep our marriages pure. Thirdly, a life where Jesus is supreme, not just someone who talks about it, but who truly demonstrates the supremacy of Christ is a life of contentment. Look at verse uh, 5. Keep your life free from the love of what? Well, that wasn't very convincing. Let's try that again. You ready? <laughs> Keep your love f- life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Keep your life free from the love of money. We're going to do a stewardship series uh, in uh, January, and I love doing a stewardship series because here's what I always get. Um, when are you going to be finished with this? Because I want to invite someone, but I don't want to invite them during that. <laughs> and as soon as we say stewardship, what do you think of? Money. We're going to change that. We're going to try to come up with a different name. Because stewardship is how I manage everything God's given me. Money's just part of it. Time is the other. We're going to talk about time. Are we wasting time? We don't have a lot of time, right? We live this one and only life. There's urgency there. We're going to talk about our gifts. Are we using our gifts? We have to be those who use our gifts. Inside the church, outside the church, that's between you and God, but you've got to use your gift. Be content with what you have. You know how much money is enough? Just a little bit more, isn't it? Just a little bit more. It's amazing, isn't it? You get a little bit more, and then you think, if I just had a little bit more. In one of these days, one of these days, every one of us, we're going to lose it all. We're going to leave it behind. Our last breath, we're not going to take it with us. And so the writer says, man, be content, not with what you're going to leave behind, but be content with the person whose face you're going to see when you close your eyes in death and wake up in eternity. If you're a believer, look at verse 5. For he has said, I will never leave you or what? Forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Contentment. How are you doing there? Are you a contented person? down deep inside. Now, again, I'm not talking about someone who's chill and it's okay if you have a job and not have a job and okay if you, you know, provide for your family or you don't. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about some person with some drive and, and looking to do things. But down deep inside, are you, here's, the, here's the real question, right? Are you content with Jesus? Are you content with Jesus? The one who says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That has nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with having money. Good Samaritan. That Jesus did the story of the Good Samaritan, right? And a guy is going down a road and sees this guy on a beaten and bruised, and pastors are walking by, priests are walking by. The Good Samaritan stops. The Good Samaritan had some resources. The Good Samaritan took that guy, bandaged him up as best he could. But remember, he took him to an inn, which were expensive in those days. 
took him to an inn. He told the innkeeper, here's some money up front. Take care of him, feed him, bandage his wounds, get him back to health. And then remember what he said? When I come back through, I'll pay you whatever else you need. This guy had some money, but look how he was using it. He wasn't using it for himself. He wasn't using it just for his little, little family, his little group. He was demonstrating that this all comes from God, and I'm going to use it in a way when God puts people in my life, I'm going to minister to them because it's all God's stuff, and I'm just a, I'm just a manager of it. How are you doing with contentment? Fourth. Fourth characteristic of life where Jesus is supreme is leadership. It's amazing in this uh, last chapter, uh, the writer talks a lot about leadership. And let me draw out a few of these. The principle is this. Respect godly leaders, but don't worship them. Respect godly leaders, but don't worship them. Look at verse uh, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. See how they put this thing into practice. Because a godly leader is not going to just talk about it. They're going to put it into practice. You can imitate their faith. Paul says that. Imitate, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate them, but don't worship them. The guy who had the most impact on my life was a guy who was a pastor of a little church that Lori and I went to when, I was in, when we were in seminary, when I was in seminary. And, uh, and he, was, he was just a cool guy. Um, I, I had other pastors in my life, and they were fine, and they were caring and all that. But this guy was cool. I wanted to be like him. He dressed cool. I wanted to dress cool like him. And he, he just uh, took me under his wing, and he'd take me out on, we did uh, home visitations, and we would go, and we'd share the gospel in a home, and then we, afterwards we would go to JoJo's. That was kind of like an Eaton Park chain in Dallas at that time. We'd go, and we'd have some coffee and dessert, and and he'd say, how'd, how'd we do? How do you think we did? How would you have done that differently? Man, he was just tremendous, just a mentor to me. I love that guy. He was a, he, he was a, he was a tremendous preacher. And, and we went to this church. It was a little church. And we, we saw it grow. And we saw him developing people and discipling people. And, uh, and I, I'll never forget, man, we were, we were at a meeting on a Friday morning. And we were meeting with some guys. He called them dawn groups. Uh, they, uh, daily uh, something in weekly church. I don't remember what it was called, but it was a dawn group. It was a pretty cool uh, acronym. And, he, and, and, and so we were meeting, and these guys were saying, man, I am so glad it's Friday. I am so glad it's Friday. And, and, and he said, you know what? I love what I do so much. I don't even care what day it is. And I said, oh, man, that is cool. I get to do that. I'm training to do that. Love that guy. He moved from uh, Dallas. He went to South and and he had a great uh, church down there and a great work. And he, he invited us to come down and, and be an associate at the church. It was a little different theology, and so we didn't do it. We really didn't want to fight the little theology thing, and so we didn't go. And, um, and we heard not long after that, a couple of years, two or three years after that, that they had invited into their home a young girl uh, to a needy situation, and he'd had an affair with her, and he left, left the family. It broke my heart. And last I heard, he was selling used cars in New Jersey. You see, you respect leaders, but you don't worship them. A human being is going to let you down 
every time. We have some great leaders here. The chapter uh, 13.7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who give ha- have to give an account. Man, I tell you what, the elders here at this church, we think about that a lot. We have to give an account, not just for our own souls, but we are shepherds of a flock. I am one elder. I have one vote. And it is a privilege for me to serve with these elders. Our qualifications are found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We have a 10-step process to go through, and you're a part of that. We spend about it. We'll meet tomorrow night. We'll spend about an hour and we'll have dinner together. We'll spend about an hour in Bible study and prayer together. And then if we, if we get out by midnight, it's a pretty good night for us. There are some heavy things to look at. There are some heavy decisions to be made. God's doing some great things here at this church. And it takes prayer and it takes consideration and it takes us discussing. discussing it's a plurality of elders because not one person has all the answers to anything. But together... God can lead us to do what we want to do. So we appreciate your prayers. We will have to make some unpopular decisions sometimes. We'll have to make decisions regarding people's lives that we can't tell the whole story. And so people won't understand that. Sometimes we just won't communicate like we should. Sometimes we'll be misunderstood. But I promise you this, it is a privilege to serve with these guys because they have a heart for God and a heart for you. And I thank God for the elders here at our church. One more characteristic. Oh, by the way, I didn't, I don't want to miss this verse. Every human is going to disappoint you, right? But check this out. Look at verse 8. There's one that's not. Jesus Christ is what? Read it with me. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never disappoint. Imitate godly leaders, but worship Jesus. He will never disappoint you. One more thing. Fifth characteristic of a life where Jesus is supreme is his praise. Look at verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people. He, he, outside the gate was outside the gates of Jerusalem. He didn't do crucifixions in the city. They were out, outside the city. And so Jesus suffered. This, this is a great verse just saying that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. By his own, through his blood. That's a, a metaphor for his death. Therefore, let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the uh, reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. Man, this thing is temporal. But we seek the city that is to come, don't we? That's how you live with an eternal perspective. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Now you see by continually, there's a little asterisk there. And if you look at the bottom of your Bible, it says, it says just, actually just when you feel, the word means just when you feel like it. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It means continually, all the time, even when you don't feel like it, this isn't about emotions. This is about knowing that Jesus is supreme. And we are to continually lift up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Richard Baxter, this is a great old pastor, uh, preached in the 1600s. And he wrote this sermon 
called How to Live a Heavenly Life on Earth. How to Live a Heavenly Life on Earth. I'm going to read you just an excerpt from the sermon. Now remember, he's writing in the 1600s, so his language is a little different than ours. Listen to this. Oh, the sinful folly of many of the saints who drench their spirits in continual sadness and waste their days in complaints and groans, and so make themselves, both in body and mind, unfit for this sweet and heavenly work called praise. Let me read it again. Oh, the sinful folly of many of those who are believers who believe that Jesus is absolutely supreme, who know that when they die, they're going to see him face to face, who know that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but they drench their spirits in continual sadness and waste their days in complaints and groans and so make themselves both in body and mind unfit for this sweet and heavenly work called praise. Praising God is the work of angels and saints in heaven and will be our own everlasting work. And if we were more in it now, we should be more like to what we shall be then. The liveliest emblem of heaven that I know, Baxter says, upon earth is when the people of God, the liveliest emblem of heaven upon earth is when the people of God, in a deep sense of his excellency and bounty, from hearts abounding with joy and love, join together both in heart and voice in the cheerful, melodious singing of his praise. It's good stuff, isn't it? That's what we want to do as we close this uh, sermon series on Hebrews. We've been talking for the last 25 weeks that Jesus Christ is absolutely supreme. And now we're going to praise him, sing praises to his name together from the bottom of our hearts. No one's going to leave until the last song is sung. Got it? It's got to be an emergency situation, and it's got to be a note to me that you had to leave early. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to have communion. Here's how it's going to work. I know uh, Ken's going to come and lead us. Our Ken uh, Gordon, our elder, uh, one of our elders, is going to come and lead us. Is going to pass out the uh, emblems here in a second. And while the emblems are being passed out, you're going to have two cups together. Bottom one's going to be a little bread, and the other's going to be the juice. Right? Two cups. Didn't make a mistake. It's the way it's supposed to be. Take those, hold them. If you're a believer, now if you're not a believer, you let them pass. This is for believers only. If you're a believer, take it, and you're going to hold it. And while it's being passed out, we're going to sing a medley of songs about Jesus, a medley of old hymns, old hymns to a great beat. And we're going to sing from the bottom of our hearts what we've been talking about for 25 weeks. Jesus is absolutely supreme. Now, I know some of you are not going to like this because it's not going to be contemplative like normal, okay? That's just the deal. You don't have to email me about it. I already said you're not going to like it, right? I don't have time this week for your emails about this. But we're going to take that and we're going to sing praises to God. And I'm asking you to sing like you've never sung before, if you mean it, from your heart and your voice. 
as we think about the Savior who went to the cross and bore your sin and my sin. And God's wrath, think about it, the wrath that should have been yours and mine was poured out on Jesus. That's the Savior we serve. So let's stand together. We're going to sing. Communion is going to be passed out as we stand. And then Ken will lead us in our time of communion.